Amen. Well, it's good to see the children go out. Joshua brought a rubber chicken just in case the lesson was no good. Uh, he can chuck that at the teachers, I guess, so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, praise the Lord for this passage of Scripture. I, I find the Word of God so fascinating. You know, it's amazing to look at it because it really explains life. It explains what's going on. It describes what goes on, again, so often even in our lives. And this is a fascinating passage of Scripture because uh, the apostles have spoken Uh, Peter and John, and uh, now the great question is, what are the religious leaders to do with these people? And we realize the context. The context, again, happens to be a chapter number three, right? They're coming early in the morning uh, to praise God, to worship God in the temple, and they're passing by this man who happens to be, again, lame from birth, and all of a sudden, again, he's miraculously healed, and all the attention goes on Peter and John. And Peter begins to preach, and he takes all of that attention, and he puts it on Jesus Christ and him crucified, yea, risen from the grave. And what he does is preach the gospel, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and you can imagine this commotion that would have uh, gone on. Everybody would have been rushing into the temple to see this sight of this man, again, who happened to begin lame. Now he can walk. Now he can leap. Now he can... Uh, just boisterous, have joy, and even in, enter into the temple. And, and it would have created this religious zeal, this religious excitement that happens to be right there. Well, the priests that happened to be again on duty were not too happy. And along with the captain of the guard, they had this man uh, arrested along with the two disciples. And they put them in jail overnight, and they hoped that this would somehow quell their religious enthusiasm, especially towards the Lord Jesus Christ, and were brought before this tribunal, which we call the Sanhedrin. And you have to realize that this is both a religious authority and a civil authority. They do have power. They do have jurisdiction here. And as they're, as they're seated, and they're seated again above these, uh, these uh, men, you know, they hope to intimidate them, but there's no intimidation you know, when Peter's asked by what authority he has done this, what authority this man happened to be again healed, he announced it through Jesus Christ, whom they crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In other words, this is God's man. And then he says in verse number 12, he gives the exclusivity again of the gospel, and he says, and there is salvation in no one else, and for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if you put yourself right in the narrative, you know, you can imagine Peter's speech going up and up and up. And this is the pinnacle, pinnacle right here. This is the name that we stand on. This is the one and the only one where salvation happens to be found. You know, and what we come is a response. You know, what is the response to all this? And that's where we come to verse number 13 and following. And let me just set, set, set that in our minds because there's a number of themes that we have to keep in mind you know, in one, and we'll especially look at this next time we're, that we're together, but we're faced with two authorities. You know, we're, we're, we're faced with man's authority, and we're also faced with the divine authority, God's authority. You know, and we're, we're often asked, and it's amazing to look at this, because I think this question's been asked more in the last five years than ever before. Which authority do we obey? And let, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you read the Word of God, it is not a hard question to answer. You know, the answer, again, is absolutely both. You know, we are to obey man's laws. We are to obey the word of God. But there is a caveat in that, isn't it? You know, and the caveat is that there's one authority higher than the other. You know, and if there happens to be a contradiction, if there happens to be, again, a, a, where we can't obey one over the other, there is a higher authority. And that higher authority happens to be, again, God. 
You know, and it's amazing because when you look at this passage of Scripture, the apostles have been given revelation from God. They've been given a revelatory command. And that command is very specific, isn't it? And the command is to preach. It's to make disciples of all nations. It is to go and make known Jesus Christ, the gospel. It is a command which we call and we are given, which happens to be the great commission that is given to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's one thing to keep in mind. The second thing to keep in mind is God always uses trials in our life, doesn't he? He always uses suffering in our life. And I think, again, we hear this theme all of the time, that God sanctifies us. He changes us. He molds us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other thing that we have to keep in mind in all of these trials is God is just not changing us through our trials. What he's doing is giving us a bullhorn. What he's doing is giving us a witness to other people of how great, how glorious, how grand God is. In other words, God uses our trials, our suffering, our hardship that happen to be in our life to change those who happen to be around us. You know, we can see this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 6. It says, if, if we are afflicted, you know, why are we afflicted? If we are afflicted, and then he gives this reason, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experienced when you patiently endured the same suffering that we suffer. Now, think about that, because he says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And the question is, again, how are we comforted when others are afflicted? And I think our favorite answer is basically this. I am so glad I'm not going through what they're going through. And that's not the point of the text. The point of the text, when we see people go through suffering and all of a sudden they're glorifying, praising, they have their confidence in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of anguish, even in the midst of tears, we think, wow, what am I missing in my life? What am I truly living for? It shakes us out of our doldrums and it wakes, awakens us to the glory of Christ, to the great hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's my whole point. God not only, again, changes us through our trials, but he changes other people. I mean, think of it. You know, here's a trial that both Peter and John went through 2,000 years ago, and God is still using it to change God's people. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You know, God never wastes trials. He never wastes trials on our life. He changes us, but he changes other people. But I think these passages are also important for a third reason, and that is they really give a face of unbelief. Because the question, again, is often asked, why do people reject the gospel? You know, what reason do they have? You know, is the gospel logical? Is it believable? Is it verifiable? You know, and here's the amazing thing. When you come and you look at the rejection of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again, whether it happens to be in the book of Acts or whether it happens to be in history, the reason why people reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is because of what's in the human heart. It's because of an aversion against Jesus Christ, a hatred that happens to begin right here. And the reason why that's so important is because I think more than ever before, there happens to be an alteration in the church of Jesus Christ. To make the church of Jesus Christ something other than Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, which is the great hope for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and this is where we have to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been given a commission in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if it's rejected, we have to realize that God will use this message. Because even in the midst, this is great rejection that, that, that you read in this chapter. In fact, through the book of Acts. 
But this is the very same message that shook the foundations of that entire Roman world in the first century. And may, and may I say that God's word will not come back void? That God will take his word and use it in the hearts and lives of those that happen to be again around us. So it's with those themes that, that, that I really want to preach this passage both this week and next week. And I hope it will be a real blessing. I hope it will really prepare us to face, again, the adversity that we need to be, again, as gospel ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at these men and their rejection of it. And I want us to look at their observations and then I want us to look at their deliberations. In other words, what they're going to do with their observations. But you can see their observations in verse 13 and 14, because look at what it says in the text. And just think about what they are seeing. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And then they saw this. But seeing the man who was healed standing before them, Beside them, I should say. They had nothing to say in opposition. Now, just before we look at these verses, I, let me make a, um, a couple comments. And one is, everybody observes things, don't they? You know, we observe life. We observe things that happen to be going on and around us. And that's what they observed in the first century. They, they observed everything that happens to be again going around them. And this is one of the reasons why I love Christianity. And please get this. Christianity is not a philosophy. A philosophy basically is this. This is what I believe about life. This is how I make life work. This is how I see things. This is how I see God. You know, this is my point of view. And we live by a philosophy that happened to be of a life. That's not Christianity. Christianity is based upon observable facts. It's based upon history. So when you open up the Gospels, you realize that these are events that went on. These are sermons that were preached. These were miracles. These were signs. These were wonders. This was a crucifixion that actually happened. This was a resurrection that took place on the third day. And when you come to the book of Acts, what is the Acts of the Apostles? The Acts of the Apostles are the Acts of the Apostles. Otherwise, these are observations. This is history that has taken place. You know, and we have to do something with facts. We have to do something with what we observe. You know, and, and it's the same with the religious leaders. But here's the second caveat. You know, as we observe life, as we, as we observe history, as we observe the things that go on that happen to be again around us, we're constantly interpreting life. Right? We're constantly interpreting those things that happen to be going on. And because of the bent of the human heart, in other words, what's going on in us, none of us come neutral, right? None of us are just looking in an, in an objective way at everything that happens to be going on and then interpreting that. We all come again with a bent. And we call that bent the human heart. The human heart has intellect, it has desire, and it has volition, all of those things. And we come again with all of those things. You know, let me give you an example of that. When we look at a world that happens to be again around us, here's the question. How did the world come into being? You know, and we'll look at various different things. We'll look at mountain structures. We'll look at uh, various different fossils and skeletal structures that happen to be again right there. And if you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt in a creator God, the question's not hard, is it? You know, there's a way of interpreting the whole world that happens to be around us that says that God created everything in six literal days. You know, but none of us were present. You know, so we take the evidence, we take the observations, and we make these premises. This is what took place. This is what God has said. 
Now, if you hate God, if you're absolutely adverse to the God that happened at the beginning of the Bible, you're going to take that same information, but you're going to come to a different conclusion. No, 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 no. Just like we grow old, that's how the world got here. You know, through millions and billions again of years. And they will come to different observations. And here's my whole point. These men are going to make observations. They're so clear to say, see, that they're undeniable. But what do you do with the observations that you make? What do you do with the things that you see? You know, how do you function and how do you respond? Because there's an observation that they make about the apostles. And then there's an observation that they make about this man who happened to be getting lame from birth. You know, and I want us to look, first of all, the observations, what they observed about Peter and John. You can see that in verse number 13, because look at what it says. Now, when they saw, saw speaking again of an observation, you know, something that they are seeing. And what did they see? They saw basically two things. And here's the first one, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And here's the second thing, and they recognized. In other words, they observed something, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the first thing, again, that they saw is that these men spoke with boldness. Now, what does boldness mean? Boldness just means this, that they spoke with such clarity and passion, such log, uh, logic and integrity. You know, and I love that because when, when, when somebody gets up to preach, you know, this shouldn't be boring. This shouldn't be, you know, you can take it or leave it. You know, God created, you know, this this is what he created on day one. Isn't that amazing? You know, it shouldn't be anything else like this, but there should be a boldness. There should be an authority. You need this God. You need this Savior. You need this Lord. In fact, guess what? There's no other way under heaven where we might be saved. There's only one name, and that's the name Jesus Christ. And you can imagine the authority. You can imagine the boldness. You can imagine the strength in which they perceive, they preach these truths. Again, to these men of authority that happened to be again right there. And they saw it. And then they also realized they're uneducated men. And what, what that means is that they're not trained in rhetoric. You know, I can remember uh, one time when I was in Nova Scotia, I had just been saved. And I can remember a g- g- gentleman stood up, you know, to take the Bible lesson on a Wednesday evening. Um, you know, and uh, he got up, and he was missing teeth, and he was a farmer. You know, his, his face was all aged, and, you know, uh, he, he got up, and I said, what is going to take place? You know, what does he have to say to me? And he explained God like I'd never known God. It was absolutely amazing. It was incredible that, guess what it created in me? It created an astonishment. I realized that he murdered the king's English. You know, I realized he was uneducated. I realized he wasn't trained in rhetoric. I realized he wasn't even, again, had no formal education. But I was absolutely astonished. You know, and maybe you've had that experience. Maybe, again, somebody's come into the pulpit, maybe, maybe with a thinning hair, you know, uh, big glasses, you know, and not that handsome looking, and I'll admit it, you know, and comes into the pulpit and begins to explain the word of God. You know, and you weren't expecting anything, again, that, that, that amazing. But all of a sudden, it was like they were with you that very week. In all of your trials, and all of your difficulties, and all of your hardships, and all of your failures, it was like they were with you that, that day, and you were absolutely astonished. You know, it's amazing, because the one, again, that God has chosen to use is ordinary believers, isn't he? Ordinary believers 
that all the focus might go on this extraordinary Savior that happens to be again above. And they saw this. And it created an astonishment. And the second thing, again, that they noticed, that they observed, is that they, these men had been with Jesus. You can see that they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, and that's an absolute amazing statement when you think about it. And what does that mean? That they walked, that they talked, that they had been with Jesus. You know, they had walked and talked and even been with the resurrected Jesus. And they knew this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And how did they know this? That's the real question. How did they know this? And the reason why they noticed and noticed this is because they re- recognized the message. Guess what? It was the same message that Jesus preached, that Jesus made known. You know, and they recognized as they had a boldness, as they had an, uh, an integrity that happened to be about them. They had an assurance that happened to be about that, that they had been with Jesus. And like I said, again, Again, a couple of weeks ago, I don't think there's a, any higher commendation that somebody can make of you, somebody can make of me, than this. That person, he, she has been with Jesus. You know, they've spent time in prayer. They spent time in Bible study. And we've met people like that, haven't we? You know, we come into their presence, and there seems to be such a joy such a peace, again, such an integrity, such a security, such an assurance that Jesus is mine. They seem to ooze out the grace of the gospel in their lives. You know, and as we're around them, we recognize this fact. They have been with Jesus. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's what all of our lives are to be. You know, that sort of testimony. In fact, Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter uh, 5, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men. Let this glory, let this grace come out. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And isn't it true? You know, people see that love of God, they see those good works, in other words, the works that God has commanded us to do. They see that joy. They see that holiness. They see that love for Christ. They see that forgiveness. They see that patience. They see that kindness with others. And they say, this is not natural. Where does it come from? And here's where it comes from. It comes from being with Jesus through his word. You know, so much so that these truths grip our hearts. And I wonder, as we look at our own lives, if anybody could ever describe us that way. Maybe a spouse. My husband's been with Jesus. Maybe a wife. Or, you know, uh, you know she's been with, with Christ. Look at her patience. Look at her endurance. How about our children? Can our children ever say about you as a mom or dad, Mom and dad live a holy life. They really love Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. Can they ever say that about your life? You know, I don't think there's any higher commendation. And it brings, again, such an authority, such a grace when we do speak, when people recognize that we have been with Jesus. Now, that's something they noticed, right? Right? That's not up for debate. They noticed beyond a shadow of a doubt, uneducated man. Speak with such conviction, such clarity about who Jesus Christ is. And they understand beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had been with Jesus, that they had been with the Christ. You know, and then their attention focuses to the third man that happens to be again in a semicircle. 
And we see that in verse number 14. It says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And, and I think that last word in the verse is absolutely amazing, isn't it? Because that's why they're there. They're there because they oppose Jesus Christ. And so here's all these educated men standing up here, looking down, ready to condemn. And here they hear the gospel. Here they see this man standing there. And they can say nothing in opposition. I mean, it's clear from the message. Did we kill? Here's a message. Did we kill? Did we crucify Jesus? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did, did God raise him from the grave? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's just too many, too many plethora of witnesses that, that have seen Jesus Christ for life from the dead. We just can't deny the fact, right? There's nothing. And then this man stands before them. You know, I, can, I, I, don't, I don't believe that a lot of times we sit here, we say, well, well, you know, look at this man. Imagine, day after day, passing by that man. And it might even got um, annoying after a while. Alms, 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 don't, don't pass by, alms. It might have got annoying day after day after day. Why do I have to have this racket? All I want to do is go worship God. All I want to do is go in the te- te- temple. And day after day... You know, we read in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 2, it says, And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily, every single day, at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms for those who are entering in. Now listen to verse, verse number 22 of our chapter. It says, For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed, listen to how old he was, was more than 40 years old. Can you imagine? Here he is a teen, maybe even a young boy and who's laid there. Can you imagine seeing his legs, seeing no muscle? Can you imagine just seeing him wave back and forth as he's carried? And he's laid there day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. All of these men would have known about this man, saw this man. And it was irrefutable that a miracle has taken place. You know, and what it was, you know, in verse number 22, it says a sign of healing. And remember what we said a sign is? A sign is what? We don't worship a sign, do we? But what does a sign do? It points us somewhere, right? Right? We were going to a soccer game yesterday. You know, and all of a sudden there is soccer fields. You know, this sign for soccer fields. And we didn't stop at the sign for soccer fields, but there was an arrow. And we followed the arrow, right? And that's what signs do. They point us in a direction. And a sign of healing, this healing is pointing to a greater healing that we need in Jesus Christ. You, you know, but think about it. It's easy as believers right here. But here, here's what they observed. They observed that these men's talked with a knowledge that was not their own knowledge. There was a depth. There was a conviction. There was a certainty about it. You know, and they talked this way, and they were astonished at it, and they also knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had been with Jesus. Jesus was the central message of their message. And they also recognized that this man had been healed, and he had been healed by the authority, by the name by the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's a question. What do you do with that message? What do you do, here it is, with those observations? 
Because every single person, when they hear these things, when they observe these things, when they see these things, have to do something, right? right? We, we saw that at the beginning of the chapter, 5,000. Had to do something with this message. Here's the question. There's about 70. There's probably a few that happen to be, again, missing. But in the Sanhedrin, there's 70 men that happen to be gathered there. What are they going to do with these? You know, what response are they going to have? And you can see that response in verses 15 and following. And look at what it says. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed, uh, though uh, uh, through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak no more to anyone in this name. Now think about it. Because I find, again, some of these passages of Scripture so fascinating. You know, and I think it's good to take these passages of Scripture many times and bring them over to our own life and our own situations and really help them, again, exegete or describe these circumstances that we go through. Because the question we often ask ourselves is, why does so-and-so reject the gospel when the gospel is so clear? And let me say beyond a shadow of doubt, 99% of the times the reason why people reject the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, when the gospel is truly presented, it's not because it wasn't clear. It's not because it didn't make sense. It's not even because they need more evidence or they need me more time that having to begin evaluated. Here's the reason why they reject the gospel. They reject the gospel, here it is, because of what's in the human heart. Right? The human heart is not just this idea. The human heart speaks of the totality, again, of who we happen to be. And we do have intellect. There's understanding that happens to be there, but there's a desire. And if you desire certain things that happen to be in your life, if you long for these things, it's going to all of a sudden, again, change how you think about things, what you think about, how you interpret. And then there's volition. There's things that we do that we like doing in life, that we enjoy doing in this life. No matter if they're right, no matter if they're wrong, we want to do them, right? There's the mind that's involved. There's the desires that are involved. And then there's volition that happens to begin involved. And think about it, because the heart of man is absolutely corrupt, right? And that's why it does. I think one of the greatest statements in the Word of God that really exegetes what goes on happens to be in John chapter 3. And beginning at verse number 19, this is what the Scriptures say. And it says, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world. Let me just stop right there. Light has come into the world. What's the light? The light begins with a J. The light is? Jesus Christ, the greatest light. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living at the time and seeing Jesus? Seeing him perform these miracles? Seeing him walking on water? Seeing him feeding 5,000? Can you imagine hearing a sermon from the Lord Jesus Christ? It was the greatest light ever in the world, right? I just need more evidence. And here's the greatest light. And listen to what they did, because it's not intellectual. It says, and this is a judgment. The light has come into the world. And listen to what it says. And people, and look at the next word, loved. Mind, right? Desire and volition. That's what they want, right? There's a way of thinking. But people love the darkness rather than the light 
And why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, this is what happens. Think about it. Hates the light. Doesn't matter if the light's true. Doesn't matter if there's evidence. Doesn't matter if a miracle has gone. Doesn't matter again if the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is historically viable and verifiable. It says, hates the light and does not come to the light. This is why. Lest his work should be exposed. And if you want these things, let me tell you, let me tell you you're going to work very difficult to somehow destroy the light. You know, I hear what you're saying, but you Christians are just after my money. I hear what you're saying, but only dumb and naive people believe in the living God, somebody who rose from the grave. I know what you're saying. You know, if God would write my name in the sky, if God would just give me more evidence, then I would believe. And let me tell you, you're fooling yourself. I mean, here's men who are alive during the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's this beggar, this lame beggar that they passed by every single day that had unusable legs for 40 years. And they didn't believe. And why? And there's only one reason. There's only one reason why anybody rejects Jesus Christ, and it's this. They hate the light. You know, they, their heart has a bent, and it's not bent towards God. It's bent away from the God. Now, here's a question. At the beginning of this chapter, there's 5,000 people that believe. And right here we have almost 70 men that reject. What is the difference? And the difference is, is, is this and this alone, the grace of God operating in the heart of man. That's the only difference. And again, unbelief is strong. And let me just say this, unbelief has a belief. Does that make sense? Unbelief has a faith. Right? I have to somehow take, you know, what I'm seeing over here, what I'm observing over here, and I have to somehow deny it and put my faith in something else. And that's the question here. How do they logically... You know, they have to give an account for the decisions that they make. They are the ruling council of Israel. How do they logically, how do they intellectually, how do they verifiably somehow deny all that's going on? You know, that happens to be again with them. So what they do, you know, they want to remain respectful. So what they do is they dismiss them and they begin to talk these matters among themselves. And you can see that in verse number 16 because this is what it says. Saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And guess what we can't do? We cannot deny it. Now let me just say this. It would be comical to be reading this. It really would. It would be uh, farcical to read this, and it should cause us to laugh and chuckle because what is so obvious there is right before them, and they just refuse to see it. They just refuse to trust in Christ. But it's tragic. And the reason why it's tragic is because we recognize the eternal destiny of these men. And I think a lot of times we forget about that. You know, God is glorious. We know right from wrong. And yet we sin against him 
who is all glorious, who is worthy, we even sang it this morning, who is worthy of worship, who is worthy of praise from our lips and from our hearts. Because of that, we deserve a Christless eternity. We deserve an eternity in what is called, here it is, the lake of fire, which is never quenched. We deserve utter darkness. We deserve fire and brimstone. We deserve a place where the worm never dies. And here's the amazing thing. Here's what's so tragic about here. There is a name that is above every name. There is a way of salvation that God has made available to these men. And when they say, you know, what shall we do? What shall we do with these men? Does that question sound familiar? Does that question sound familiar? Where, where have you heard that question before? Can, can you think of a time? Remember when there was another miracle that took place in the healing of Lazarus? You know, and all uh, Judea was going, this has got to be the Christ. You know, this is why the swells, you know, when Jesus was entering uh, Jerusalem for the final time, what we call the triumphal entry. This is why everybody was celebrating. This has to be the Christ. This was one of his most notable um, miracles that were done. And then we have the convening, and think of it, it's the convening of the same men. And in John chapter 11, in verse number 47, it says, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, in other words, the same council, and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. You know, what are we to do? Same question. Now, why are they asking of Jesus? Because if we let him go on like this, people will believe on him. Right? People will come to the logical conclusion that what? He is the Christ. He is the light of the world. That's what they're worried about. Here, well, what are we to do with these men? Now, think about it. Think of the hard place that they're in. Because what did they do to Jesus? They crucified him. Right? They brought him before Pilate. They're out of cahoots with Pilate now. You know, Pilate didn't want to do that. He's still culpable for what he did, but he didn't want to do that. They're out, they're, they're out of favor for him. They cannot keep killing people. So here's the question. What do they do? And I think a better question is, why are they so scared? Why are they so frightened? Why are these men such a threat to them? And this is why they're such a threat. is because in the human heart, in the sinful disposition that we have, that God is conforming to us, the sinful disposition that an unbeliever has is basically this. I want what I want. And I have this comfortable position. I have this easy life. And I would rather have what I have today than what Jesus offers for all of eternity. I'm willing to give up on the altar of the immediate anything that happens to begin of eternal value whatsoever. And they're afraid of it. They don't know what to do. They don't want to lose reputation. They don't want to lose their comfortable lives. So they say in verse number 17, but in order that it may not spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Now, there's a key in understanding this verse. You know, and I think pronouns are fascinating. I don't know if you ever studied pronouns. I love pronouns. But the question is, again, what does the pronoun 
mean? Who is it referring to? Because as this verse starts off, it goes this, but in order that, and here, here's a pronoun, it. Now here's the question. It may spread. What's the it in that verse? And there's one possibility. It could be the miracle. It could be the sign. It could be the wonder. I, we don't want this to spread anymore. We don't want any religious zeal. We don't want everyone getting excited that the end times again are going to come. We don't want anyone kicking a fuss against Rome because we like our position. It could be that. But it's amazing to look at the end of the verse because at the end of the verse, there's another pronoun. And it goes like this. Let me read the full verse again. It says, but in order that it may spread no further among the people. And then he says this, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in, here it is, this name. Now, what's the name? And the name is Jesus. Right? It's the name they preached in. You know, because they said, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name he was standing well. And I think it's amazing to look at this, that when you look at when the religious council is gathered together, they never say a name. You know what name they never say? They never say the name Jesus. Their hatred is so strong before Jesus that they just cannot bring themselves to say Jesus of Nazareth. You know, their hatred, again, happens to be there. And so rather than giving any theological reason for rejecting Jesus and giving a reason why they shouldn't speak again from their name, what they try to do is intimidate them, forcefully command them not to preach, not to speak. You know, and and it isn't because... Whatever you love most, you have to speak about. Isn't it true? Yeah, we're given a command called the Great Commission. We ought to be preaching and speaking again of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, whatever your heart is taken up, you have to speak about. You just can't contain it. Isn't it true? You know, we have to talk about that. And let me tell you, beyond a sh- and, and I want you to get this. This is so important. The reason why there's opposition is because of the name. It's because of Jesus. It's because of his work. Never get that wrong. You know, I think Christians should be involved in good works. You know, so if we go over to a third world country and we dig wells for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, praise God. That's a good work. That helps out humanity. But let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, people are not going to point their finger. People are not going to oppose you. In fact, they're going to applaud your, your good work. And let me, let me say, a lot of times those things need to be done for an entrance in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but people will applaud that. That's not why people oppose believers in the Lord Jesus Christ throughout history. And please get this, because I think this is really, really difficult for us today. You know, and it's basically this. If I have a certain political viewpoint, Right? There's people that happen to begin in the world that will agree with my political viewpoint that want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Isn't it true? I have friends. I'm conservative. I'm conservative to the core. You know, and 
Anyways, I'm not going to get into it. But, but I'm conservative to the core. But I have many friends, you know, friends that I grew up with in high school that are conservative to the core that love to talk politics with me and would agree with me and pat me on the back because of my political views. And you'll always find a sector that happened to begin in society that will love you because of your politics. The reason why they're being persecuted in Acts chapter 4 through the rest of the book of Acts is not because of politics. It's not because of the viewpoints of the Roman government. It's because of that name, which is above every name. I can remember even I had a friend that I grew up with in high school, you know, and I met and we sat down, had a cup of coffee, and he said, uh, he said to me, and he actually brought it up, he said, let's talk about God. And so we talked about God. And then I steered the conversation over to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he stopped me, and he says, and don't shove your religion down my throat. It was all right to talk about God as creator, all right to talk about, again, his grace, his power, his wisdom. It was all right to talk about all that, but the moment you bring Jesus as the Savior, as the Redeemer for, for sinners such as us. Don't you dare shove your religion down my throat. There's a reason why these men rejected Jesus Christ. And let me just say this in closing. Let me make two applications. And maybe this describes you this morning. Maybe you've been coming up with so many different reasons that you've ignored the obvious You've ignored who Jesus is. You've ignored the sin that happened to be in your life. You've ignored, again, what is so observable, and you've gone in the opposite direction. Let me me plead with you. And it's basically this. Stop it. Stop it. Today is the day to believe on him and trust in him. Today is that day to follow him. And the second is for those who happen to begin believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what got these believers in so much trouble? What got them in so much trouble? And there's one thing. Don't preach. Here it is. Here it is. It's the verbalizing of the message. Right? You know, if you want to live like that, go ahead and live like that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right? No one cares. It's the verbalizing of the message. And I wonder, and be, be truthful about this. When you look at your life, when I look at my life, is there enough verbalizing of this message where it could bring opposition from somebody? You know, if God's given me a tongue to sing forth the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for sinners, and, am I, and if I'm overwhelmed by him that I have to speak this message, is there enough truth that comes from my lips that somebody could actually oppose me. Because here's the good news in all that. God has chosen. We saw this in the first part of the chapter. God has chosen to use feeble instruments like us to change the eternal destiny of others for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be vocalizing this incredible message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what an amazing text. Lord, it's, it is at one time sobering. Lord, and so sad and heart-wrenching to realize 
Lord, the hardness of the human heart, to realize, Lord, that this heart is not penetrated because I come up with so many sound reasons. Lord, that somehow I use my logical, I use my argumentative uh, skills in such a way, Lord, that I refute every argument that happens to be again out there. We realize, Lord, the problem is is a human heart. But the good news of the gospel, Lord, when the gospel is preached, we realize that you can take that message through the Holy Spirit and, Lord, give a believing heart, give a heart that's pliable, give a heart that's open, give a heart that will respond to that message. And we saw that earlier in the chapter, and so often we get lost in that when we look at the face of unbelief. And, God, who, of a, who, who happens to be here this morning who has not shivered when given the opportunity to present Jesus Christ to someone knowing that they could reject us, knowing that they could say all manner of evil against us, knowing that they could cause even difficulties and trials that happen to be in our life. And yet, Lord, our great love is to love these people just as you have loved them. And you've loved them by sending Jesus Christ into this world. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to make us, Lord, mold us to be gospel ministers for your glory. God, challenge us. Challenge us. We really need to be challenged in this way. So often we read our Bibles. So often we pray. So often we come out to the church. But, Lord, help us. Help us to be obedient to the commission you've given us. We thank you so much. Just be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.